Blog Talk Radio. Cafe. This is Holly Steffi, and um, my special guest today is Alan Merle, and I have Spencer Drate also here with me uh, co-hosting. Uh, I want to say something about that song. That song is really important. Um, Alan was the lead singer and songwriter of the first and original 1975 version of I've Love Rock and Roll with his band The Arrows. And um, the song has, you know, has been recorded by Joan Jett and many others. And we're going to talk a little bit about how Alan 
um, played that song. Joan heard it, was dragged out of the bathroom, so I've heard and heard it and recorded it. But we're going to hear it straight from Alan. And Alan um, has some really cool stuff we're going to be playing during the show. Let me bring Spencer in um, to the studio. And also, I just want to let everyone know, this show will be available afterwards on iTunes and also on demand on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio under the Indie Cafe. And if you'd like to call in and speak with either myself or Spencer or with our guest, Alan, you could call 347-677-1036. The chat room is open, and you do need to create an account, but it's open and we're ready to go. Welcome to the show, Alan and Spencer. Hey. Thank you very much. Hey. So, Alan. Good afternoon. Yes. Tell me that story. Yeah, good afternoon. I should say good afternoon. Well, yeah, let's talk about has that. a very interesting history in that it started out as a B-side uh-huh. uh, in England. Mickey Mouse put it on the B-side of a mm. song called Broken Down Heart. And yeah. uh, we recorded the original B-side at Morgan Studios with a BBC film crew this and the, the the point of the show was groups that do b-sides and write their own b-sides but don't ever make any money out of it and ironically we were doing i love rock and roll so it's you know it was an interesting show but anyway after we put it out as the b-side mickey most wife said that's the hit to her husband mickey most our producer yeah and mm-hmm. and uh and uh, we did go into Abbey Road Studios, famous for the Beatles recordings, and we recorded another version of I Love Rock and Roll, and that was the A side. Oh, wow. Which um, we only, because it was a quick flip from B side to A side, there was very little time for any promotion. And mm-hmm. um, so we only got one TV appearance with I Love Rock and Roll, the Arrows original version. And that was a show called Rock On 45, Muriel Young produced. And Muriel. Uh-huh was so impressed by our performance that day, she said, I'd like you guys to take over the Bay City Roller Show, Shangalang. Wow. We thought, yeah, that would be great. But that was based on our performance of I Love Rock and Roll that day. So that song got us the TV series, which was on the next year, started in March. In fact, during the Runaways going over to England for the first time in 1976, and I believe that they must have seen us in November, given their tour schedule. And the way I, I hear the thing happened was Jackie Fox, who was the bass player of the Runaways, was watching TV. Joan Jett was in the bathroom probably combing her hair and doing some makeup or something. <laughs> Jack, Jackie, said, Jackie said, come on, you got to see this. So she dragged Joan out of the bathroom. They both loved the song. And uh, I guess Joan got a copy of the record. I believe the first two copies that were sent to her were broken. And the third that she got in L.A. was intact. And then she recorded a version in 1979 with the Sex Pistols. And that was, mm-hmm. uh, I think, I think Vertigo. I'm not sure, but I think mm-hmm. it was Vertigo. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was also a B-side for her. So, And then she re-recorded it again in 1981. It was an enormous hit in 1982. It's Amazing, yeah. Boardwalk Records. It's an interesting story. It is, and then and then Britney Spears did it in like, in two thousand and two. Yeah, and she had a hit record every. She didn't even bother releasing it in America because it's so associated with Joan Jett. But she got it to number fourteen in England with her version, Britney, and she oh. put it in her film. What and that great trivia! That gets to a lot of a lot of covers because it's that's, sort of, the song could that's be unbelievable. 
Unbelievable. You know, you know, and, Spence, I mean, you know, when you hear a song like that. Congratulations to Joan Jett getting in the Hall of Fame. I, oh, yeah, finally. I I, Absolutely. I hope I had some small Congratulations, part in that. Joan. You had to. I know she, <laughs> I know she just recently was at Kim Fowley's uh, passing, yeah. um, his memorial. Yeah. I know she spoke there. Did you go to Kim's? Um, I, I don't think you were there. I'm not sure. But no, I no, I, 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 I didn't know Kim, but I, I've met Joan a bunch of times, and yeah, you know, Joan. I know extensive Joan. When I was playing guitar with Rick when I was playing guitar with Rick Derringer, the song was about number fifty on the way up the charts. And so oh, I wow. guess it was winter, winter of '81, and we were both playing the same club. The Derringer band were playing the night before the Joan Jett and the Blackhearts were playing. And wow. so I met I met all the, the original Blackhearts and Joan, and I said I t- to Joan, I think I think we've got a hit here with this song. It wasn't wow. yet in the top forty. And, you know, we gave each other a big hug, and the next thing I know, I'm in Texas with the Derringer Band, and the, and Joan Jett's version is number one. And that was very <laughs> That's popular. amazing. That was very popular on tour right about that time. That's incredible. I want to tell you, our chat room is full, and I wanted to say okay. to everyone in the chat room really quickly, if you tuned in late, the show will be available in its entirety again on iTunes and also on Red Velvet Media, Blog Talk Radio On Demand afterwards. And if you'd like to call in and speak with either myself um, and Alan or Spencer, the number is 347-677-1036. And I want to say thank you so much, Alan, for giving us that amazing song. Because that song, I mean, you know, that's just like iconic. That's a song that's going to be around forever. And I know a lot of your other music is amazing, too. So the song has had an interesting life. You know, right yeah. from the beginning, it was, it was, it was almost a stillborn. And really? then suddenly Mickey Most's wife got involved and mm. said, this is a hit record. And that was wow. why it was flipped. Someone Otherwise, in the chat room named Ludo, Ludo told me to tell you hello. Do you know okay, Ludo? Okay, thanks. She's in, you know, she's in England. She's a friend from Southampton. Oh, uh, cool. She comes to my gigs when I'm in Southampton. And, nice. and yeah, she's a, she's a great supporter. Well, thanks, I got her in the chat room saying, hi, hi, hi. So I'm letting her know okay. that you're saying hello. <laughs> great. So I'm sorry. I wanted to ask so you, anyway. Alan, I wanted to yeah. ask you a question. What are, you did an album on Polydor, right, 1985? Now, that was an interesting mix of people with you, right? Right. What what's the story on that album? Well, I, I actually it was a hodgepodge album made of demos, really. I mean, I did four tracks with the Derringer Band, where I was the lead singer, and uh, and Rick never released them, Rick Derringer. But so I I bought the tapes and I released them myself, and and uh, that those were four tracks. And there was another track that I did in London with Steve Winwood and and Mick Taylor playing on Always Another Train. And wow. I co-produced that track with Jimmy Miller, who produced a lot of Rolling Stones stuff. Oh, yeah. Wow. And uh, so I was just, I was sort of trying to cobble together an album in 1984, and I did, and I put it out through Eddie Germano's uh, label, uh, through the Hit Factory in New York, and uh, he had a deal with Polydor, and so my album came out in Polydor. That's the story of that. Mm-hmm. But the bad news was that Eddie was losing his deal with Polydor, and so oh. the, the the heads of Polydor said, "Don't promote this album." So wow. I lost that on that. But it, um, for example, MTV picked up my video on Heart of a Woman, which was a single, and uh, Polydor, my own label, asked them not to play my video <laughs> because they didn't want it to be a hit. Wow! Because <laughs> they didn't want to renew the deal with Eddie Germano. 
Oh my that's God! That's crazy. I got that. I got that directly from uh, uh, the uh, the head of A and R at the at Polygram Rock and Rock and Roll section. Unbelievable. Yeah, Jerry Jaffe was his name. Yeah, probably know him. Well, you anyway, know what I really like. The 1985 is... album that almost almost took off, but it was political. yeah. It could have. It really could. Yeah, have. it could have. I have. I've. I have a lot of those instances in my career where where political things get in the way of. Uh, things moving properly. But that's the show business, you know. That's right. In, in yeah. the case of I Love Rock and Roll, the, all the dominoes were lined up and they all fell in the, in the correct order for Joan Jett. Right. And it, it's amazing for all of us that it did. I mean, it's, it's a blessing when it happens like that in the music industry. It usually doesn't. So. Well, thank you for that of, song, Alan. Oh, it's <laughs> pleasure. Tell yeah, it was It was fun writing it, actually. Because Mickey Mouse gave me a it? huge challenge. Mickey gave me the most enormous challenge in the world. He said it has to only be three chords. Uh-huh. It has to have a monumental riff, has mm. to have a melodic verse, and an mm. anthemic chorus. And mm. and he said, I want something like Wild Thing meets Summertime Blues. And I was like, how <laughs> the hell am I going to do that? It's like he's, it's like I'm some sort of a chef in a restaurant. He's giving me <laughs> these, these parameters that I, you know, but I I managed to do it. I managed to you know, the chorus came first, and then I thought, what do I do with that? And, you know, I made it to be a fictitious song coming out of the radio, which was already a hit. So the song you're hearing in the chorus of I Love Rock and Roll that the kids are singing, you have to consider it wasn't a hit yet. Mm. But in the song, it's a hit record. Oh, so yeah. Kind of, kind of Rod Serling-ish. Twilight That's kind of cool. Zone. Yeah, it is yeah. like the Twilight Zone. It was huh? unique. I, I had to, I, I wanted to think of something that no one else had ever done. And that was that's well, a part did. of the song. It's part of the song that nobody picks up on because yeah. it's so catchy. But if you so look at the lyrics, you, how did you see. form Arrow? Where did that come from? Arrows. I I was in Japan and my management was cheating me and I had two hit records with Vodka Collins at that time and they were the first glam rock records in Japanese. Chance of Time and Automatic Pilot single in 1972. We were making the album in 73. We were going to headline the Budokan. And I said, I need more money because I I was a big session bass player in Japan and I did a lot of sessions making extra money. When Vodka Collins took off, I was too busy and I lost my session niche. And so uh, I asked my manager, I need more money. You know, we're playing the Budokan. It's 10,000 seats. We're headlining and it's sold out. And he said, no, you're only a star in Japan. You'll never leave Japan. At the same time, Jake Hooker's band Streak in London broke up. And Jake was calling me every day to come over to London. Come over to London. I'll pay for your plane ticket. <laughs> and I had a meeting with my manager in Japan, and I said, look, I have an offer to go to London, and I'm going to take it. And I'm not going to do the Budokan gig. I'm leaving. And he said, no, I don't believe you. And so I said, you're drunk. I'll meet with you yeah. tomorrow. I met, I met with him again the next day. And I told him I'm leaving. He didn't believe me again. So I just took off and left. I had no money. I went to London with zero. Just two guitars, clothes in a the, in the bag, and I slept on Jay Cooker's floor when I got there. Uh, we went around, uh, we went around uh, to every record company. We couldn't even afford to do a demo. We went with acoustic wow. guitars and, and played live. And we finally walked into Mickey Most's office, and he said he had this song, Touch Too Much, which... Susie Quattro had turned down, and Mike Chapman and Nicky Chin's song. Mm. And uh, David Cassidy had turned down, and The Sweet had turned down, but Mickey thought it was a hit. So we recorded it. 
And within six months of my being in London, I was in the top ten with the Arrows. So that's how the Arrows were formed. It was because they weren't paying me properly in Japan. I had to leave. And uh, if they had give, if they had given me money, there would have been no Arrows if my Japanese management had paid me properly. Wow. Well, so it was really down to take a chance, roll the dice, and go to London and see if you can have a hit. You know? And it worked out. That's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. It's amazing how things work out in life. You know what I mean? The things that you, you have to take chances. Pick. Yeah. It's a leap of faith. Yeah. Hey, I need to, uh, another person, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but another person in the chat room wants me to make sure that I say hello to you, Ida from ISL oh, Ida Public Lines Relations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, and nice. um, there friend. are a lot oh, of um, Merle, Merle Army members in the chat room. That's <laughs> are calling themselves <laughs> army Welcome members. To the chat room, everybody. Okay. As long as you guys are all peaceful, that's cool. And for any one of you, she she says she loves you. Um, she told me um, to tell you that she loves you very much, and um, everyone's listening. And again, guys, if you tuned in late, the beginning, the show will be on iTunes afterwards, and also on demand on Red Velvet Media as a podcast. You can download it. And also, if anybody wants to call in, if you're brave, um, 347, because you never know what Spencer and I or Alan are going to say to you. 347-771036. But guys, if you want to call in, you can. And anyone else out listening there, again, thank you so much for tuning in. And today is a special edition, again, of the Indie Cafe with Alan Merle. And um, we are talking about the arrows and so much more, and um, I want to talk about the new the the 40th um, anniversary arrows. My, that, um, that 40th anniversary edition CD I put it out. is amazing. Yeah, thank you. We yeah, those, are, those are TV tracks. I have tracks. a track here. Which one did you want me to play when we when we go to break here? Um, my last night with you or too too much? Because we're going to end much. with one. Too, too much? Okay, so... You play Touch Too Much, that's a rocker, and we should end with the ballad, My Last Night With You. So, Touch Too Much was top ten in England in 1974 in the summer. Okay. It was it was the one I talked about that was a hit six months after I arrived from Japan. Produced mm-hmm. by Mickey Most in, uh, in, in at Morgan Studios in London. And Mike Chandler wow. wrote it, the, the Susie Quattro team of songwriters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So why don't we play that really quick, and then we'll come back, and then Spence, is that right, okay Spence. with you? That gives you a chance yeah, to uh, yeah. breathe a little. We'll take yeah, that too. We'll play too too much, and then we'll come back, and we're going to talk a little. It's yeah. more perverted than too too much. I know it's pretty good. <laughs> it's a great. It's a great. It's a great song. And it's you know what? I song. really, I do like my last night with you. It is a ballad. It's really pretty. I really liked it. Right. I was listening to it. Thought it was very very cool. So we're going to play um, uh, one of the pieces, and we're going to do that now. And um, then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk to you a little bit more about the 40th anniversary and CD. And I know Spence has some questions, okay. and we want right. to ask you about some of the experiences that you've had along the road and, and with your touring. And I know you just recently played New York. I know Spence and I were talking, and Spencer goes, oh, yeah. my God. I just got an email from Alan. He's on his way to go play downtown in New York, and it's snowing. <laughs> I'm like, okay. All right, I guess I have a bunch of gigs hardcore. coming up this month in New York, yeah. Yeah, and then, then well, let's... Japan in April and uh, 
England in May. That's coming. Oh, wow. That's yeah, great. we want yeah. to talk about what's up up and coming. And real quick, let me give yeah. your website out before we go to break here. It's okay, Alan, great. A-L-A-N, and then it's M-E-R-R-I-L-L.com. And it's a really cool website. There's news, bio, discography, you know, everything, sound clips. Um, you've got everything on there, your tour dates, and we do want to talk about what you're currently working on. So let me play this song okay. real quick, and we'll come right back. Here you guys go. Well, you got me shaking from my head to the bottom of my tongue. Shaking all over like nobody knows. Shoulder and your hand on my knee Listen up, baby, now mama can't see All I can do is hold on tight And make it together up through the night Mama don't mind what mama don't see It's getting so hot that you're burning me I wanna touch too much of your tender love That's too much of your good, good loving Just touch Quattro rejected and David Cassidy wow. rejected, and Mickey Most wanted to prove to David Cassidy that it was a hit, and uh, that he had made a mistake turning the song down. So, right. you know, he, Mickey pulled all the stops out for us. We got Top of the Pops and lots of full-page trade ads and stuff, and a lot of radio play. 
And, of course, the song, as soon as we did Top of the Pops, went right into the top ten. So that was, I was only in England for six months, and I was in every teen magazine. It was amazing. I bet. Tiger yeah, and just, all that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because I dated, I dated Mackenzie Phillips in 1976 in the you summer. You did? When the Arrows TV show. Yeah, I'm, I'm in her book. She says really nice. I know Mackenzie. Yeah, she's nice. I like yeah, she's, Mackenzie. She's, she's a sweetheart. But she said yeah. she used to see the Arrows videos at Rodney's English disco, Rodney Bingenheimer. And she, she knew who I was, you know. And I'd never seen one day at a time, but I'd seen her in American Graffiti. So, you know, that's sort of how we met. It was at the um, at, a, at a sort of a street fair. Wow. In London. Yeah, it was like a summer fair, and it was very romantic. Oh, and we went wow. out. She had, to, she had to go back to do one day at a time in America, so it sort of drifted apart. Her careers tore us apart, really. But it was a it was a definite love thing, you know. Just, you know yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. That that song, that's a really good song, you know. Um, Thanks. Yeah, that was that was the story of the song. Was was Mickey Most really wanted to prove that it was a hit song. He, he loved the song, so. Well, it's a hit and, you know, song. We, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, it was Mickey. Mickey knew hit songs, except he missed "I Love Rock and Roll." But I have a funny story I know. with that too. The same week we cut the first B side of "I Love Rock and Roll." He also cut You Sexy Thing. Oh, really? Well, the Miracles with Hot Chocolate. Wow. Chocolate. He put that on the oh my B-side, God. too. That's and the Sexy I, Thing. Was, I, I think that Blue, Night, Blue Night was the A-side for uh-huh. You Sexy Thing. And uh, he clearly he flipped both of both those records. Oh, my he God. He was into ballads at the time. He was not into up-tempo thing. But mm-hmm. It's what I call Mickey Most Blue period because <laughs> ballads and not... Nothing up tempo. Didn't up tempo didn't appeal to him. So you know, I obviously both those are his two biggest songs that he publishes. Is up love rock and roll and uh, I believe in miracles. You sexy thing, hot chocolate. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. You know, there's another song you did when the night comes, which I wanted to yeah, talk a little that, bit about. Right. Yeah, okay. that was taken into um, into space by the first black astronaut in history. That's a guy. guy blue I want to know about that. <laughs> okay, well, I, I I had a band after the Arrows called Runner, and uh-huh. uh, we were on Island Records, and our, our album made the charts in the United States. But it was punkier in England. We didn't even bother trying in England because we it was it was a very musical band, sort of like Foreigner or Traffic, you know, that sort of it was adult oriented rock. It was, you know, we were very rehearsed. We were very skilled musicians, all of us. So we were planning our second album, but because two of the guys in the band refused to tour. Uh, the second album was scrapped, and, and Island Record dropped us, even though we'd been in the charts. It's part of our contract to tour. That's You have to promote the album. But I wrote this song, When the Night Comes, and went into the studio with our drummer, who incidentally was the original drummer with White Snake. He did the first oh, wow. album, the oh, forerunner, wow. yeah. And uh, Dave and I just, I played all the instruments, and Dave played drums, and we cut When the Night Comes in like six songs in one day and uh, those were the demos for the runner's second album when that didn't happen my publisher ATV Music pitched um, When the Night Comes a song I wrote to uh, Catherine Howe who's sort of like a Joni Mitchell in in England and she had a a small hit with it on uh, Arista Records over in England then a few years later I got a call from my publisher Lou Rawls is cutting your song and 
Wow. And like, oh, I didn't think anything of it. And then it turned out I was going through some record bins, and there it was. <laughs> you know, That's great. Still, still LPs at those at that time. And then years later, I found out that. That, that album was taken up into outer space. You know, it was the title track. Wow, that's so cool. And, and great, uh, I love that. the album was broadcast cool back to space. Must have yeah, been it's a great set, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's how that, it was the, another song that had an interesting life sort of on its own, you know, with the help of ATV music. It always helps to have a corporation on your side. I that's right. Mm-hmm. Very yeah, true. You know. But that's it's hard it's hard these days because the corporations are sort of not knowing what the music business is anymore. They're they're still trying to figure out what the new way is. I think. Anyway, that's the story of when the night comes, and it's it's just been reissued in in CD uh, love songs by Lou Rawls. It's a compilation, so it's the song. Yeah, it's a great yeah. it's a great song, and um, so you do a lot of writing. Um, Let's yeah, I do. In fact, you know, the Arrows, I just found out the Arrows, uh-huh. B, another Arrows B-side was just on a show called uh, Homes Under the Hammer this weekend. Mm-hmm. And it's called Moving Next Door to You. It was the B-side to my last night with you. So Arrows B-side have a way of having a, a long life. Mm-hmm. You know, Ludo, 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 who called in, is the one who told me about this. And, uh, and it was just shown February 5th. Wow. That's a surprise. You never know. You know, you, you put your stuff out there. You just don't know what the You never know what's going to happen with be. that. That's right. You never know who's going to pick it up. In the, music, in the music genre now, a lot of kids look into things. They get very deep into music. And groups that you don't normally think will pop up that will. You know what I mean? Because right. that's what happens now. You know, it's like the whole music thing. It's like, you know, you never know. You just never know. I mean, I put, I put an album out in Japan only. In 1971, all songs in English. It was called Merrill One, the album. And somehow Tiny Tim got a hold of it, and he got <laughs> my, my song Movies as a single in 1972 when he was speaking. And I didn't know about that until like 25 years later when Tiny Tim's fan club contacted me and said, Are you the same Alan Merrill who wrote movies for Tiny <laughs> Tim? And I was like, Yeah, in fact, I guess if it's. If it's the same thing, so they sent me a, a CDR of this of Tiny Tim's version, and so I finally got to hear the cover twenty five thirty years later. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah, that is amazing. But you know, it it, it, it was a good song, and I'm, I'm happy he he heard that and he cut mm-hmm. it. You know, I just wish I'd known when it in seventy two. <laughs> well, let That's me ask you a question, Alan. The group is called Runner R U N N E R. Yeah, that was on Island Records, in, uh, in we put our album out in nineteen seventy. Do, do you know something? I have a pin collection in my house, and I have the pin in front of me right now. It's got Amazing. a little dog. It's like a greyhound, Is right? that what you were doing? Exactly. It's got a greyhound like running through it on a great background, the type. Right. <laughs> Ollie, how do you like that one? That's I knew funny. you were doing something. I thought it, you were drinking an ice drink, but you were going through your <laughs> pin collection. I, I can hear it, and I know I knew you, I had and, and you know what? You used to work at Island Records, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I did a lot of repackaging and packaging. I worked on U2. I worked on uh, Bob Marley's label, Tough Gong. The major labels there, they had me repackage the whole label. Chris Blackwell loved my work. Yeah, so I worked so a, lot with Island, you know, a lot with Island and all their umbrella labels, you know, designing. Mm-hmm. And so here's yeah, the runner I mean, pin. 
Runner, Runner, <laughs> Runner were one of the few bands that made the charts who refused to tour. Really? I mean, wow. I had, I actually had um, Bill Graham calling me up, you know, from the Fillmore's and saying, wow. you know, I, want, I, want to, I want you guys to open up for the Allman Brothers. What's wrong with your band? Why won't they tour? And I was pleading with the other two guys who were, not the drummer, but the other two guys, I, I, you know, I'd rather not mention their names to, to make them embarrassed. But they refused to tour. And I, they said, we won't tour until the album's top ten. And Chris wow. Black will call me up and say, the album's not going to be top ten unless you guys tour. And then Harvey Goldsmith, the biggest promoter in England, called me up and said, what's wrong with you? Can't you talk to your bandmates? And I was like, yes, I'm trying to explain to them. And one day the checks just stopped coming from Ireland, you know, oh, like, wow. which was significant. And, they, you know, they, they had enough. If, you, if you're not going to get behind your product. The irony of right. Runner is we, when the band ended, I went off with Rick Derringer. I was on tour nine months of the year. The, the, wow. the two guys I was talking about, they went off with Alvin Lee and were constantly touring with Alvin Lee on his, um, I think it was Nightflyer album, he had something like that. And then um, Dave Tyler Drummer went off with Midnight Flyer of Maggie Bell. So everybody went on full-on tours. But with your own band, with our own band, we wouldn't tour. I mean, it was just madness. Wow. There was no, there was no logic to it. I, and I couldn't, I begged them, please, let's go out and let's do some gigs. We didn't do one gig and we charted. Not too many bands in history have been in the charts and not ever done a gig. Did Did you do videos at all? No, no videos, nothing. Wow. That's it was like, there's, the policy came from these two guys who said, we want to be a band of no, we don't want any pretty boy pictures, none of that. We don't want any glam glitz, nothing. We want to just be right. taken for music like jazz artists. And you can't do that. You can't, nice. you have to give the record company something back. If they put a million pounds behind you, which they did with Runner, they want some return. Right. That return is that return is to tour. And so, you know, I I, I got a lot of touring after that with Derringer, believe me. I was on the road constantly. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I bet that was fun. I bet that was, that was fun, great fun. You know? How about any I wrote three um, songs on his album, Good Dirty Fun. Did you? Yeah. One was in Germany called Stake Me. And uh I wrote White Heat and Lesson Learned with Rick. And, wow! Uh, I played on the whole album. You know, I was already Did gone you? from the band by the yeah, by the Which time one the is album. That one? Good Dirty Fun. It was his wow. last rock and roll album ever, and he went That's into blues. That's a great yeah. album. Yeah, this was a, a real really rock album. album. Yeah. You have you something where Lou Lou Rawls recorded a song of yours when the Lou night. Lou Rawls comes. recorded when the night comes. That's what we were just talking about. And then the one then, that went into then, space. You think, you're thinking of Freddie Scott. Freddie Scott recorded the. Uh, you know, Freddie oh. Scott made it huge with Hey Girl. He had like right. a top three record right. with Hey Girl in right. the 60s. But his last album, was, I wrote the title track with Don Covey, who just passed away. Oh, I see mm. Don Covey. He just died last week. For oh those of you who don't know, Don Covey wrote Chain of Fools, uh, Super wow. Stew, you know, uh, Mercy, Mercy, that the Rolling Stones covered. Really? He was a, he was a big, big songwriter, yeah. And um, I wrote three songs on Freddie Scott's last album, too. That's great. Uh which, you know, and it was, you know, great fun. You know, I, I did the Don Covey tribute after he had a, a stroke 15 years ago. And I sang with Bobby Womack, who passed away last summer. Oh, my 
my God, I he's know. great. We're losing everybody. I mean, I'm the only arrow. Hello, Bobby. Member. I know. I'm the, I'm the only one of the arrows left alive. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Lonely, you know. You're but, the bat. You're, you're the best for last, right? Well, you yeah, know what? You, ca- you carry what they call you carry the torch. It's like the Ramones. Mark exactly. your Ramone carries the torch. That's right. Well, you know. Exactly. I'm the lead singer, so I can course. recreate the sound of the arrows wherever I go, you know. Right. That's exactly yeah. right. Well, you know, I wanted to ask you, Alan, um, in your um, recording career and playing so far, um, not counting now and what you're going to be doing, we're going to ask you about your current projects. Do you have any stories you want to share along the way besides that? Amazing one about um, I love rock and roll. That's a really good one. But anything else that well, there, kind you, of we was... haven't touched on that I played with Meatloaf for about four years. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, uh huh. And I was I'm on his live at Wembley album and I sing lead on the, the song Slow Down, the old Larry Williams classic. And uh, I do that in my set all the time still. But uh, I got married to my second wife. Meatloaf was the best man, and my wedding certificate signed Meatloaf. Uh, he's, he's, he's the witness. <laughs> so my wedding certificate says meatloaf at the bottom of it. Oh my god! You can't make this stuff up. It's madness. My life That's is crazy. My life zone. Let me, Alan. I got to ask you a question. What what musicians did you follow yourself? I mean, when you were younger, say, or you know, kind yeah, of I was you young. I, 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 you know, I, I, I started playing music in '64 with a teenage band and played junior high school dances and stuff. I was like 13 and just got my first electric guitar. And, um, and I, you know, I played Kink songs and Beatles songs and Rolling Stones songs. You know, whatever was a hit. By 65, we were, you know, playing animal stuff and a lot of covers. And then, But I started writing then. I, you know, and my bass player from back in those days uh, Bucky Hall, he he remembers the songs that I wrote. They were that catchy. He said he he sings them in his head still. So wow. I'm thinking maybe I should record them. Uh, it was my teenage my teenage songwriting was probably pretty potent. Who knows? If he remembers the stuff, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah, I was starting. To, we got a residency at the Cafe Wall when Jimi Hendrix was playing the night show. Oh wow! We were playing the kids' show for the, you know in the daytime. Yeah. Um, Did you and, meet Jimmy? Uh, yeah, and when he was Jimmy James, Jimmy James in the Blue Flames, he had the wow. hairstyle, the pompadour, and he was playing R&B covers. <laughs> I didn't think much, and then and then he went over to England and came back, and I saw him on 8th Street. He was walking down 8th Street with this beautiful blonde girl with him, and he was decked out like a Christmas tree. He had all his <laughs> ornaments and stuff, and I was like, damn, look at you. And he said, hey, I just got back from England, my album's in. My album's in the in the Eighth Street record shop. It's called the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Are you wow. are you experienced? And, and I said, I'll, I'll go check it out. So I go oh, down wow. the shop, and boom, there it was, with the fisheye right. jacket, and uh, that's my Jimi Hendrix story from the, the old Greenwich Village days. I guess that's I was probably so cool. 1967. I had been a, a resident at the Cafe Wa for a couple of years at that time already. That's the, that's the year I saw Hendrix live. 67. That's really. Yeah, I saw him in Bridgeport at the football stadium, and he's playing with you know the band, and uh, he's on the stage. It was a cold night, and this is what I remember, Alan. To write, it's still in my head. It's a cold night, and all of a sudden, in the middle of a song, he goes, "Oh, my hands are cold." (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and that is stuck in my head. You know, it's stuck in my head. It's funny how these things stick in your head. They, they're little things, but I, I I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I have oh, those, my hands are uh, I don't know why they, why certain things just stand out. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Uh, Luna but, you just know, another, said the bird. Another thing about is the I was, bird. I was, Pardon the birds? I'm sorry. Ludo just chatter, typed in the chat room the birds. Did you do something with the birds? No. I, I, my set was mainly made up of bird songs back then. And Chris oh, Hillman okay. Maybe that's what my, it was. Okay. Yeah. Chris Hillman came down to see my band. At, wow. uh, at, uh, you know, he was the bird's bass player. He came down to see the yeah. band. And, and he was very impressed and, you know, I was on stage, so you know I only got this from Vic the Doorman. But Vic the Doorman at the Cafe Was said Chris Hillman was just down here from the Birds. You know they were playing the Village Gate at the time, and he said he loved our band. He just wanted to let us know that we sounded great. So I was pleased with that. And then during that time, I went to the where I'm playing actually on my birthday this year. Choga, New York, was then the Tin Angel, which was where all the rock people would hang out, and uh, in New York. And I went up there. And uh, David Crosby and Mike Clark from the Birds were having uh, some drinks, and I sat down with them because I was a huge fan. And they bought David me a beer, Curry. and I was I was only like 15, <laughs> but they got me a beer. Oh my God! And uh, you know, gave me a little buzz, and you know, I went and saw, <laughs> I saw them every night for free uh, wow. at the Village Gate. I snuck in the side entrance. And I offered to pay Sharon Delugoff, whose father owned the Village Gate, for all those times I didn't pay getting in. But you, know, you had to be 18 to get in, and I, I really wanted to see the birds, and it was the only way <laughs> was to sneak in. And you know, I think Art Delugoff, who owned the place, knew who my mother was. She's jazz singer. Oh yeah. And so he kind of looked the other way and let me do my guitar studies. Oh, that's great! So was, you got to get I in wherever McGuin, you wanted to go. <laughs> I was watching McGuinn and McGuinn and Crosby's um, fingers while we were playing, and I, you know, I, I learned how to do the drop detuning from David Crosby watching those oh, shows. Oh really? When he did Everybody Has Been Burned, I think it was, yeah. No, no, it That's was... Um, awesome. Yeah, it's, I, I can't remember the so name what, of the song up to you, but anyway, it's a, it was why. Alan, what, what, what are you currently working on? What are you going, what, where are you going to be playing soon? Let's talk about... Well, I have a whole new album. I'm, I'm, I've, I've, got more, I've got enough songs for about four albums and five albums, so wow. I have to get these recorded as soon as possible. Well, I still have a singing voice. <laughs> I, I just want to uh, I want to say something. I saw Alan with Amy Madden, who's a very good friend of mine. Amy, I've known through John Paris years ago. Right, yeah. she's, a, she's in Amy, the New York. Amy. Yeah, New York Blues Hall of Fame. Yeah, she's and great. Yeah, she plays with John Lee Hooker, Johnny Thunders, everybody. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's amazing. She really yeah. is. And and I, I got to tell anybody out there going to going to see Alan Merrow, see Amy play together. They're really great together. Yeah, we're a great team. I'm, so, I'm Alan, you're there. playing no. with Amy now? Where are you yeah, playing and, with Amy? And, and so, oh, yeah. Well, we'll be playing at Clem Down at this Saturday. Okay. February 7th is a, is a glam rock show after midnight party at the Grand okay. Victory in Brooklyn. We go on stage about 1 o'clock, and then I'm doing a Valentine's Day uh, performance at the Delancey in New York at 10 p.m. with the band. Um then on my birthday, February 19th, we're doing Chogan, New York, which I told you was the Tin Angel where I hung out with the birds. The same room, but different now. It's a different performance space. Mm-hmm. And that's 9 o'clock. So that's 11, how you're 80. spending your birthday, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, I'm Take playing, it and it's going to be a it's going to be a big jam. You know, all, awesome. all my musical friends are coming by, and it should be fun. Hey, Alan, and you got to send me the send me the info on the February 19th show. You know, I sure will, it. definitely. No. Yeah, that should be that fun. Would be and, you know, fun. Amy's also playing with Ricky Bird from the original Joan Jett and the Black. Oh, that's awesome. Right. Oh, right. Oh, Ricky wow. on. That's cool. Well, people will yeah. correct me on that. Actually, actually, she, Ricky was after Eric Abel was in the Blackhearts. Like my his, mm-hmm. history must be correct. I want to do it correct. And Ricky actually came in for the Olive Rock and Roll album, which was the home run. So yeah, Spencer, Spencer, you know, Spencer knows all these people. Yeah, yeah no, I know, I know, yeah. I know Ricky. We've had him on R- a Ricky, couple times. R- Ricky's yeah. in seventh heaven now, Alan, because the Rock and Roll. He always in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, of course. He is like, that's yeah, he's so like great. going around. He's a totally different person now. It's like, I am in. That's it. That's what I needed. Yeah, you know, I, I love, I love him. He's a, he's a great guy, and he also, and, he also yeah. has Amy on bass in his live thing. Oh wow, yeah, that should be. So cool. you know, we both we share a bass player. Wow, and that's we, very cool. And and good, Ricky and says we're one. attached to the hit. <laughs> Me and him are attached. That's a hit. <laughs> Meaning I love rock and roll. <laughs> and both we get up the stage sometimes. Yeah, and you know we we've, yeah. we've done I love rock and roll about four or five times. It's spontaneous. It's not like something you're going to see every time we do gigs together. Mm-hmm. But just if the spirit moves, you us, just we need to surprise them. Yeah. Real it's quick fun. again, this is special edition of the Indie Cafe with Alan Merle and Spencer. And if you missed the beginning of the show, the show will be on iTunes and afterwards on demand as a podcast on Red Velvet Media. Our chat room is still full. I want to thank everyone in the chat room for being here today. And again, yeah. if you missed it. And if anyone wants to call in, we're still on for a little bit longer. I, I, I extended the show a little bit, Alan. Is that all right? See, didn't That's I tell great. you 60 Thanks. minutes yeah. ago fast? <laughs> Pardon? Yeah. I told you. If anyone wants to call us, three four seven six seven seven. Oh yeah, seven, yeah, yeah. I'm here. My phone battery is strong. Here it is. <laughs> three six. I know. Well, you know, uh, you know. I got well, to talk... bring in something. There's a club yeah. that I saw Alan at, uh, Cantina uh-huh. East, Alan. Right? You know. The, right, uh, Upper East Side Cantina. Uh, that is interesting because for uh, I just want to bring in that this is a kind of a new club, and I hadn't been there before. I saw right. Ricky one week, and then I saw Alan the next week, and I said, something's going on at this club, right, Alan? It's right. kind of like he's trying it's to formulate some really place. Yeah, and upper, upper Uptown is not the place usually where you see music. No, it's, there, have been, there have been places over over the years that, that you know, are, are there, like Manny's Car Wash was there for a oh, while. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know down. what you're talking about. Yeah, and there was right home now, where though. Lennon used to hang out, John Lennon used to hang out at home when he was yeah. in his affair with May Pang. Yeah, oh yeah, I used to home and tracks. I used to go to a lot, and JP's right. was on the way. Mm-hmm. That's the other one, JP's. And right. but I mean, right now, right now, I'm talking about it's like this uh, is the only one on the Upper East Side that's you know yeah. really rock. Yeah. It's, it's, is this it's the club you were telling me about, Spence? Yeah, can, that's where I surround Cantina Z. Yeah, yeah. good yeah, sound here, you know, and and nice oh. clientele. Great club, Holly. Really good people really? come, you know, come in. Yeah. That's a fun place. Um, I'll be playing there again in March. How on awesome my website. is that? I don't know when. I bet that I think I it's a lot of eight. people are going to be playing there. Yeah. yeah. Where people are going to segue. They, they, it, the place is getting hotter. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Only it's getting better. What kind yeah. of, what kind of um, uh, play, people have been playing there besides yourself? From folk to jazz to rock. Wow. 
Yeah. Kind of like what the city winery is like, doing. Howie, it's like a it's like a little restaurant, and it's got a right. little backstage, so you don't have that nice. much space, but a lot of acoustic going on, right, Alice? A lot of acoustic. Right. Yeah. A small so band like, like a, a trio for a small band. Yeah. 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 Kind of like what's going on out in California. There's a place called the Hot Monk Tavern. They just put a bunch of different places in. Um, They have stages and they have like what they call a listening room now. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, everything in California is kind of like now they're just doing a lot of of open mic nights and stuff like that. So you never know who's going to walk in and play. And especially in the area here where (laughs) I don't want to talk about my Super Bowl party. But, um, yeah, there's just all kinds of people. You just never know who's going to be there. Um, Right, Spence? You just never know. That's true. That is Um, true. You know, Alan, I wanted to ask you, you know, you've played with so many great people and you've you've met so many amazing people. Um, what person have you not played with that you would like to do some work with and um Paul who would McCartney. they be? Paul, Paul? McCartney. Yeah. Okay, so let's put that but out I've there. Heard, I've, Paul. Heard very, I've heard I've heard I've heard he's he's he, he can be, you know I don't know. I mean I I've I've worked with people who've worked with Paul, so you know it would probably be difficult. Well, if Paul can play with Paul can play with what's his name, um, Kim Kardashian's husband, he can certainly be playing with you, right. a great rock right. and roller. Okay. Well, so I know, there you I know go. Paul knows. I know. <laughs> I know that's Paul how I knows, feel. <laughs> I, I know. I know Paul knows of me from from, from back in '74. I had dinner with his brother Mike. At the Speakeasy in London, wow. it was me and and Mike and Julie Driscoll, who you know had the hit Wheels on Fire with um, I forget the name of the band. It was it was a Brian Auger group. And, oh, Brian uh, Auger. Yeah, she was the lead singer of Brian Auger's group. Oh wow, that's cool. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So and I was sitting next to, to Phil May of the Pretty Things. And then Mike was opposite me, and then Julie Driscoll. It was like a table, a very interesting table. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Mike told me that Paul knew who I was, and he liked me very much. He thought I was really talented, and I was, that was just blew me away. I was like, "That's cool." Clark, Clark, well, I there you go. There's your open door. Yeah. Your open invitation. So you know, you, know you just never know <laughs> where it's going to go or what's going to so. happen. Like I said, and Arrow's B side was just on a, just on a. TV show in England. I, that was the least thing I expected. You know, yeah. you just never know. As long as you're in there, you, know, you got to be in it to win it. And the more product you put out, the better chance you have of of connecting with other people and other professionals. Well, I want to I want to say if anyone's listening that um, is in the circle of people that I know, and um, also anybody friends with Paul and or Stella, who's a friend. Um, uh, Put a My word out there. Heather when she was little. Oh, you know, really? Oh, I babysat so his stepdaughter before before Paul and Linda were together. Yeah. Wow. In my teenage yeah. days, yeah. Well, you know what? There is this always we're going to make this happen. There's always been a family connection. His, his actually his stepsister and and the, his stepmother used to come to my uh, TV series in England. Really? Angie, a- Angie McCartney. Wow. Yeah, Angie McCartney was Paul McCartney's stepmother, married Paul's mm-hmm. father, and she used wow. to come in and, and 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 bring her daughter to the uh, to the uh, TV shows. And she was a teenager; she was an Arrows fan. And I was to say, you know, Paul, you know how much Paul liked the Arrows, and 
I was always very pleased to hear that. But, you know, he's always been remote and distant, but always amazing talent, Paul McCartney. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, Judith and I designed for MPL, you know, with Linda and Paul. Okay, we did, yeah. We designed two albums with them, and they really loved our work, and uh, it was a big thing in our life, you know, with them. Ludo, you're yeah. funny. Laugh out loud. Because <laughs> I, re- I said Kim Kardashian's husband recorded it. I'm just saying, listen, really seriously, Paul, you know, um, there's a real um, seasoned, um, a very talented musician here who would like to collaborate on um, some music with you. So, um Let's do something. I and won't hold way, my breath, but it's, it's, on, it's on my bucket yeah. list. It's on my bucket list. You never know. You never bucket know. List. Never. I have worked with Bill Wyman, you know, from the Stones. And awesome. We're on record together. And Mick Taylor, you know, so I've worked with a couple of Rolling Stones. Yeah, Mick, Mick I did a solo album for, you know, Stranger in Town. Right. And, and Mick is a great guitarist. I mean, yeah, he's, he's a really right? sweet guy, too. He's a really yeah, great guy. He is guy. a very nice guy. And yeah. a great, right? A great guitarist, right? Unbelievable. Yep. And well, his, talking his girlfriend, Marlies, is amazing, too. Talking yeah. about the Stones and the McCartneys and stuff, we want to congratulate Johnny <laughs> second marriage. <laughs> sweet guy. <laughs> And um, at his private little island that seems to be really obscure. But, um, yeah, you know, um, Johnny called into our radio show a couple times, so that was pretty funny. Remember that? I have a funny Johnny Depp story. I have a very funny Depp story. Oh, do you? Let's hear that. Tell that story. (laughs) Okay, here's here's what I – and I get this from very reliable sources in in Japan because I deal with the top of show business in Japan when I go over there. And um, Hiroshi Oguchi, my drummer who passed away in 2009, said that he was at a party and the host of the party was a famous Japanese actor who put on uh, my Vodka Collins album, Tokyo, New York. And when <laughs> someone saw Johnny take it, take it out of the CD player and put it in his pocket, <laughs> so he nicked, he nicked my CD, which I'm wow. really p- proud of. That? He, he what? Wait, 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 what? Johnny, Johnny Depp stole my CD. It wasn't it? Was it belonged to the host of the party? Oh, that's funny. That you funny. That you know much. what? We can get one. We, I, I can get one to him if he needs any more. That's okay. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, if that's not a connection, I don't know what is. I'm very you know? proud of that. Actually, actually, I'll get you in touch with him, and you can you can send him all the CDs you want, and he can that would be cool. Which ones yeah, he wants. <laughs> if he wants them, I mean, he may just want that album. So who knows? No, but actually, was, you know what's that, funny? On that album, the I was Stone? the first person to ever to ever sing glam rock. In you are. I'm an American. I'm an American singing glam rock in Japanese. <laughs> And I thought, how weird. And I, pl- I begged the record card, please cut these songs in English to the way I wrote them. Instead, what do they do? They, they promoted the sadistic Mika band, which really pissed me off. And this was another reason why I left Japan. I was like, they're not going to export me. You know, this is, I'm going to be a regional act for the rest of my life. I have to leave. And as much as I loved being there and what was happening, because the fans were great and the, the, the crowds were amazing, and you know the record sales were amazing. Just the money wasn't there, and that's when you. They got love it. American culture. Oh yeah, well I was sort of bringing British mixed with American culture to them. I, mean, mm-hmm. I went to an English boarding school. 
when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I was born in the Bronx, but I went to a British boarding school in Switzerland called Eglon, A-I-G-L-O-N. Mm-hmm. I know where it is. Yeah, in Villarches, yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, and I got back to New York. I graduated high school back in the Bronx. So I went from the Shishi Alps. Culture shock, huh? But, well, you know, it taught me to be resilient, I think. It's you know, interesting when you, when growing up in Europe, isn't it? I mean, seriously, that's oh, what yeah. I did. And I went to boarding school in Europe as well, so I totally mm-hmm. get it. It's like going to school there and then coming back here, it kind of makes you learn to grow up and be a little bit more responsible and you have a little bit more rounded as your yeah. taste and stuff. But you know what? Well, I, I learned really to use good? a knife and fork and learn how to tie a tie and make a bed and Be- all those yep. things that, that you have to do skills, in life. Huh? And I was like a feral child. When I hit Switzerland, yep. I was like a wild animal. Yep. You know, and, and they, they, they got me into shape. You know, I know how to. How old were you when you went to school over there? Nine. I went. So my mother, okay. my I mother was, moved I was to Europe. Twelve. I my was mother 12. moved to Europe to, to, you know, pursue her career over there. And mm-hmm. she was recording for like Barclay Records in France and then she she was working with a, a, a Enrico Morricone before he was doing the spaghetti westerns. She oh wow. A, a film wow. With him. So every school holiday I'd be either in Italy where my mother would be working with Chet Baker or I'd be going to Scandinavia where my mother was singing with Stan Getz. Wow. And we'd be going to France and my mother's doing Yeah. It was always some amazing Journey, you know, a journey. And it was did you ever go? Did you ever get to go home with your roommates and people that were there at the school, like when your family well, maybe was unavailable? Steve Getz was at the school. Yeah. So oh, you know, wow. our parents were going together. So that was was great to have a, a friend who was also in the jazz world in the boarding school. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was my my doing because Stan wanted a place to put his kids, and so David and Steve Getz went to my boarding school after I was there. Wow. That was definitely influential in that, and uh, I think it was good for all of us. Yeah, know? yeah, it was a good story. But my mother, my mother, you know, was Quincy Jones' first album was my mother's first album, 1954. Wow, really? For MRC, yeah. I grew up in a jazz environment. My father played on Sarah Vaughan's first record. Jeez. Oh, you're kidding! That's no. So it was, you know, it was a, my and Billy Holiday. There's a duet with my mother and Billy Holiday. Look up Helen Merrill. Billy Holiday on uh, YouTube, and they were good, they're good close friends, and you know that was my childhood. I grew up with all What's those. What's the name people. of the song? It's "You Go to My Head," Billy Holiday and Helen Merrill. Wow, I know yeah. that song. Wow. Yeah. So you grew up in a you can hear Billy going A flat. Don't mess it up. <laughs> oh no, I hear you. So you grew up in a musical household. Your father and your mother. Uh, what about both brothers of them jazz? Do you have both any? Both of them jazz. My father played. My father actually wrote Latin hits too. He wrote Armando um, de las Locas for Tito Rodriguez, and uh, Machito had a hit with Twist Changa during the Twist Year on Roulette Records for Morris Levy back in the day. But <laughs> my father didn't get that. <laughs> that's wow. that's famous legacy stuff. Morris Levy, just look it up. <laughs> oh yeah, Morris Levy's heavy man. Morris. Levy. Oh yeah, I mean you know my mother was under contract to him too, and really. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. She bought, she I love Billy Holiday. Billy Holiday was like an auntie to me growing up. Billie Holiday you know, my mother was on. a singer on radio, and she used to sing Billy Holiday all the time. That's how I, I yeah. got into that. She was the whole thing. I mean, the whole thing, you know. 
Alan, do you have brothers and sisters? No brothers or sisters. My parents' marriage lasted three years, and that was it. You're an only child. And And they remarried, but they never had any other kids, yeah. That's awesome. So you, like, pretty much made a legacy for yourself. You're in continuing it. That's great. I guess. I mean, like, I have a lot of extended family brothers and sisters in the rock community. Right, right. I don't feel, you know, that I missed out on having a family because the rock community is a family. Right. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's great, yeah. I mean, I've sort of lost touch. I I hung out with Charlie Mingus' son, Eric, a bit a few years ago. But, you know, I, I don't hang out with too many jazz kids. Um, Do you know um, Ron Apria? No. Or um, and or his wife, um, uh, De Niro is her name, Angela De Niro. She does a lot of jazz. Ron Apria, he's in New York, too. He does um, saxophone. He's a really good sax uh-huh. player. did a Beatles jazz album. I'm interested to really? hear that. We're going to have him on, My, too, my mother uh, did a Spence. Beatles album. Oh, cool. Really? Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Japan. For, uh, for RCA Japan. I was in the studio just giving them hints on how their song should go. <laughs> Making sure they didn't make it too corny in the jazz. You were thing. doing the producing part of it. That's Not really. Awesome. I, was more, yeah, I was more an advisor in the studio. You were critiquing her. That's great. I helped her. I, helped I, her I got to bring up something that, that's very interesting you were talking about and, and it happened to me. I don't know. If, I, I just wanted to find out Alan's play on this. When I don't, I would design for like CBS, Sony, and, and, and yeah. Japan. And I would de- I dealt with the several albums with Bob Gruen actually on J- Japanese jazz bands, you know, there. And what I found was, you know, the Japanese were so honorable with us. I mean, the whole trip yeah. is unreal. It's totally uh, different than a U.S. trip where they say, well, you're going to do this thing, and then you may not do it. Japanese right. are very honest with you. I always found, like, they would be there, uh, you know what I mean? They were kind of like, and if they, I, I'll never forget when they were late for an appointment, they apologized profusely. Yeah. You know, they're, they're whole their whole dynamic in business. I'm the only so foreigner in show business in the world who's considered a domestic act. Uh-huh. <laughs> because I started there. My first record yeah. was at RCA. That's great. Then I went, yeah, then I, I went over to, um, I was the first male signing to Atlantic Records Japan when they opened the label there. Really? 1969, yeah. Wow. And, Did you? Uh, Alan, you know, I got to ask the, you the did Japanese you, Atlantic Records, which is did you did you find that business was different there, like I'm talking about, like then here, you know what I'm saying, how they dealt with you in business? Oh yeah, but this this was like you know, on my album it's there's there's domestic and there's foreign. I'm considered <laughs> even my even my releases now. Mm-hmm. Anything that comes, I'm a I'm a domestic Japanese act. Wow. So I'm treated differently. Well, the point is, when you go there, you're a foreigner, and you're treated as a foreigner. Yeah. I'm treated like a Japanese. Right. Very yeah, because you're there. You're part of their yeah. culture. It's very almost. different. It's a very different yeah, approach. Yeah, it is different. They have to me, it's, it's, it's less polite. <laughs> it's more familiar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, and, <laughs> you know. You know and I, um, and, I, and I, I am unique in this. And it, it was it was in evidence on my last trip over there where, you know, the young promoters were locking horns with my uh, old promoters. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it was very territorial because I'm considered local real estate. 
That's great. That's really yeah, great. If there's going to be anything over there, you want to be that because, you know, um, spending time in Japan, it, it's it's so different. The culture is different. The people treat yeah. you different. They do like the American culture, but, you know, you and all in all, how much time have you spent in Japan? Seven years I lived there. And then no. because I left in a huff in 1974 to start the Arrows, I was uh-huh. kind of on the outs with all the production companies because we were a very big band, Vodka Collins, but I just left at the peak. And you just, it's, it was unheard of that someone would leave the night before a Budokan show and just stand them up, you know, and I did it. So they didn't forgive me for 17 years. Wow. What made the difference was they reissued Vodka Collins' original album, Tokyo, New York, on CD, and it won all sorts of awards. So they they asked me back, and I said, well, this time i got to make some money. Mm-hmm. And that, that came to pass. And so we started a, a reunion in 1990, which was very successful. And then we, we we did more in 1995, 96, 97, 98. And uh, <clears throat> we did five albums altogether. Mm. But, um, yeah, it was... Very, very different. Uh, very different. It was a 17-year gap. <laughs> between the the band's reunion, and then you mm-hmm. know, just I I was you know kind of worried when I went back there because of the way I left. Yeah, just in a huff, and you know, mm-hmm. you don't make yeah, friends. Yeah, the culture is so different there. You know, right? I mean, it was it was unheard of that you would just to leave, yeah. leave, leave, just right. take off. <laughs> and you're very you know. well rounded, pian background, the right. American. New York background. Then you've got the Japanese, Japanese. background. Um, right. How would you define yourself besides? Um, I mean, you're very Americanized. <laughs> Pardon me. I'm mundial. <laughs> <laughs> Global. Would you want? Would you want to live in Japan, or do you like living in the U.S.? Oh, I, I would, but it's way too difficult with the visas. I mean, I talk about this when I'm writing my autobiography now. And I had to leave Japan every three months, mm-hmm. three weeks to four weeks to get another working visa to come back in. And so I'd go to London, or I'd go to New York, or I'd go to <clears> Hong Kong. And every time I'd do that, I'd get involved in some musical thing there, wherever I was. You know, I'd jump into something. And, uh, for example, I went to London in 69. And while I was there, I thought, hmm, maybe I can leave Japan and... and and uh, get involved with an English band, and Badfinger were auditioning people, mm. and I was up for the bass part in Badfinger. Well, Joey Mullen joined instead. Of course, they wanted an English guy. But I did go to Apple, and I did talk to Neil Aspinall, and he really liked me. Mm. So I could have been with Badfinger. <laughs> wow. Wow, what a, what a that's, great that's what I would do so with far. my three weeks. Where, that's what i do with my three weeks when I was... You know, away from Japan, I'd always get involved with something else. Do you oh, try out for the Left Bank? Is that right? Well, that was before Japan. That was okay. that was. I would say that was the the explosion I needed in my life to, ah. to make me go to Japan because I was I was in New York by myself at fifteen. My mother remarried okay. and went off to Japan, and she married the vice president of the UPI. But I was this like crazy hippie kid, and I would have been probably really bad for his image. So I stayed in in um, New York on West 72nd Street in my own apartment. My mother gave me a charge account, and I got myself to high school. 
and graduated because, like, the Swiss education gave me a very disciplined uh, mm-hmm. life ethic. So I actually managed to graduate high school. Yeah, the backbone of it. Yeah, yeah. The discipline. And, um, mm-hmm. So I auditioned for the West Bank in 1968, and um, and uh, they had to... Their lead guitar player had got into some legal trouble, and he was looking at some jail time, I think. Wow. Um, and uh, so they put an ad in the East Village Other, I think, or the Village Voice, one of those papers, said that the left bank hit group looking for a guitarist. So I said, why not? You know, I have plenty of experience. I've been playing four or five years on the New York amateur scene, mm-hmm. so it's time to step up, and like my parents, and be go pro. So I went and I auditioned at Harlequin Studio on Broadway for the left bank. And it came to pass, it was down to like three guys, then it was down to two guys, and the last two guys were me and Bob Kulik. Wow. Now, Bob, ironically, Bob and I would play in, in Meatloaf 20 years later. <laughs> so oh, we were the last funny. two for, for the left bank in 68, and then oh. there we are together again in, in 20 years later, <laughs> Meatloaf. Funny. That's the circle. That's the circle. In, in in New York, it's the circle of people who, you know, win auditions. Yeah. So I got the gig because I could sing and Bob didn't want to sing. He's, I admit he's a better guitar player. He's an amazing guitar player. But, you know, I play well, too. And I learned all the left bank songs and I knew how to sing them and stuff. And I knew all the harmony parts. So I started rehearsing with Tom Finn, bass player of the left bank, up at his hotel room in, at the Bryan Hotel in in. Uh, New York City, mm-hmm. and about a month went by, and you know things weren't. I didn't know what was happening. You know, I, I learned their first album and the new single, "Dark as the Bar," and "My Friend Today," which Tom wrote. Mm-hmm. And um, I went up to the office, and there's their guitarist, and he's talking about tour dates. And I thought, wait a minute, he's not out of the band. He's not going to jail, or he doesn't know what's going to happen so I didn't want to embarrass the guitar player then who was talking to the manager of I went home and I called the manager of Bank um, Ottinger and uh, he said he said "Uh, I'm sorry but we're not going to have any guitarist anymore we're just going to go on as a vocal three piece and that would be Tom Finn George Cameron and Steve Martin we're not going to we're just going to have session men play guitars so okay, so my mother's inviting me to come to Japan at that point. The condition was I had to cut my hair because my hair was down way past my shoulders at the time. And my stepfather was a very conservative journalist, and uh, you know, I would have been a great embarrassment. So I thought I would compromise, and I said, "Well, how about Paul McCartney's haircut on the Sgt. Pepper album? Was that short?" <laughs> I said, "Okay, that's fine." So I. I conceded to that, and so as soon as I got to Japan, I went to the Tokyo Hilton, and the guy gave me a razor cut that was identical to Paul McCartney's hair on Sgt. Pepper, and then I immediately got into the music scene in Japan. That you know, I I arrived in like August, and I was already in with a group called the the Dynamites. We were playing live together in like September, Mm. and by the end of the year, I was with the lead. And we were recording, and I helped help them finish their second album. And that's when I started. My first song I ever recorded in, in my life was Daydream Believer, the Monkees cover. Wow. 
1968. Really? And, um, yeah. Wow. And that was released on RCA Japan. Mm-hmm. I also did Hey Jude on that album, and we did Valerie and a couple of other things. There's Summertime Blues and Spoonful, The Cream Spoonful. It's all covers. You know, was, yeah. I did a lot of covers session work in Japan, and it was good money. You know, I, I had a group called Godzilla in 1971 in Japan. That was, we did all covers. It was Die Go Go Party was the name of the album. It was really wallpaper elevator music, you know, sort of, but rock. Right. <laughs> and the session was amazing. You know, this is before Vodka Collins. I said I was making all this money as a session man. I was playing on on with all the rockabilly guys like Yamashita Kejiro, Hiram Masaki, Yuya Uchida, Mickey Curtis. All those guys, I was on all their records, and uh, just making hand over fist money with uh, sessions. And then Vodka Collins became popular, and I'd, I would wake up and have a radio show, a TV show, and then a gig at night. There's no time for sessions, so the money had to come from the band, and it didn't. So I left. That's, and that's amazing. That. It's a confusing that's story. That's interesting I guess. stories. No, it's it's really it's, cool. It's very I intricate. Have... Yeah. Yeah. What about your kids? Do any of your kids, are any of your children involved in music? Do they like music? My oldest daughter has a band. Well, she just left the band to go solo. The band Mm -hmm. Kick was, they very popular in the New York and Connecticut. New York, you know, five-state area surrounding New York. They do a lot of work. And she just left the band to go solo. Um, But they were called Kick and... um, I think you can see her sing I Love Rock and Roll on YouTube, uh, Laura Merrill. And um, she's a great talent. You know, she's a great songwriter. I just keep encouraging her to write and, right. and record her songs. And uh, when she's ready, she will. My son's an artist. He's a sculptor and, um, and painter. Really? I was going to ask yeah. you. That's Alan Jr., right? Yeah. And, and uh, he's, youngest... he's a sculptor? Really? Yeah, Where's his work at? and, and painter. And, uh, you know, he's he's just got engaged to another artist, uh, which I'm very happy about. She's a great girl, Peruvian. And uh they're going to get married in Bolivia next year. I've never been to Bolivia, so it's my excuse to go. There right. you go. You get That's to travel to go. another unknown, uncharted go. territory. Exactly, exactly. And that's what songs I'll get out of that trip. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, no, I mean, that that would be kind of cool. I was watching the Miss um, Miss Universe contest the other day, and they had Miss Colombia and Bolivia on there, and they were asking them what their country contributed. And it was just some of the answers were funny, and so a lot of them really loved the music. So, yeah, yeah. I think you should go over there and do something with your music. That might be something sure. cool. They've got like a really unique culture over there um as far as their music goes very uh yeah. latin spanish influence i think and i think my father, could go I, that I was way. indoctrinated into, into that stuff through my through my dad you know he uh-huh. um, he you know he was on a lot of those records and um you know it's like tito rodriguez tito puente and uh machito all, all heavyweights in that field and he, he got into writing for them and stuff so uh yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, what I find, like I talked to Marky Ramon about this one day. We're very good friends. And he was saying, I'm having you know, a hard time hearing you. Uh, Marky Ramon, you know, is yeah. uh, he, I'm very close with him. So uh, we were talking about South America, and he, he said, oh, yeah, that's a, like Ramon's country, 
You know, really? Yeah, down in South America, they're very big Ramones freaks. Bolivia, that type of area. Um, I usually get it on my Facebook. I'll I get love like, the Ramones. I, I saw their first gig in England at the yeah. Roundhouse. The Stranglers were the opening act. Wow. And I was with, I took Mackenzie Phillips. That was the summer we we were dating him. It was 1976. Yeah. And uh, she had never heard the Ramones before. She was totally blown away. Said, wow. Yeah, they, they, the, the, the countries that you don't nor, if people don't know about, they don't normally think about it, are sometimes the biggest countries for rock bands, or you know, like the like the Ramones or things like that. You know, it's very interesting. Yeah. You know, I mean, you don't. Yeah, you just never know. People, people, you know, territorial people are, are famous in territories. Yeah, you know, you're right. And there are Americans who are famous in certain territories, and they never, nothing happens here. I mean, for example, I mean the Walker Brothers were huge in England. They were rivaling the Beatles and wow. the Walker Brothers Who here in America. And nobody knew who they were. That's you know? true. That's true. But you know, heard, that's cool. Go ahead. I'm sorry yeah. to mean to interrupt you. No. Well, no, no. I was going to ask Holly. you, who, who, were, who was your mentor really growing up? Your dad? Was your dad really mentoring you? No, he was your remote. Mom? He was very remote. Um uh, I can't think of anyone who was actually a mentor. Um, I would watch other musicians play who were older at the Cafe One. I would think, you know, this guy's on the ball, and I'd watch the way. That, I mean, John Hall from, from Orleans had a group called Kangaroo back then at uh, at the Cafe One. His guitarist, Teddy Spelios, was my age, but John was a little older. He was about three or four years older than I was. So he was just amazing. The, the musicianship was just, that was mentoring, just, you know, watching them and understanding, asking them why they did what they did, you know, how they approached the instrument, what's that chord inversion you used in that song. And you know, that was a learning, the learning process for me was, uh, you know, watching people who, could play better than I could, asking them how they did it. Those were my mentors. Right. You know. That's awesome. I mean, that's how I was brought up too. My mother was a singer. My father was in film. They, I didn't really learn from them, but they mm-hmm. nurtured me. They nurtured me and backed up whatever I wanted to do in life. I think because of the creative genes, you know, and I have it inside of me. But I really yeah. learned from other people. I didn't learn from them. You know what I mean? But they nurtured me. You know, sounds like your life because you came well, from. When I was when I was in Switzerland, I did have piano lessons, which came in handy when I was learning guitar. When I was teaching myself guitar. You know, it was, right. I understood yeah. I understood how it all worked right. from the piano lesson. I was playing like Sam Cooke songs on the piano, which I have have the forty fives and the piano lessons taught me how to translate what I was hearing on the record to piano. And so I have to say, then my mentor was Madame Neuf. Mm. like the French word for nine, um, uh, who gave me piano lessons in Switzerland. She was my musical mentor. Basically, she gave me the groundwork for how to play guitar. So when I got my guitar, I knew sort of what to do with a chord book. Have you you taught about teaching at all? I've taught some people. It's it's not for me. Mm -hmm. I, I I was Tony Sales' guitar teacher. Wow. Wow. Tony said, and I'm proud of that because he went on to play with Bowie. And right, exactly. Just when he was with Tony and the Tigers. Mm-hmm. 
back in, you know, I used to go up to their mansion on the east side of Manhattan. And, and uh, Tony Sale still owes me $20 for guitar. This <laughs> 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 is something I've been teasing him about for decades Tony, now. if you're listening, you got a $20 decades, debt decades. here. <laughs> Can you imagine with interest what that would be now? <laughs> right, of course, right. <laughs> Did you charge him interest on that twenty dollars? It, it was ten bucks a lesson. His mother stiffed me on the last two lessons. So oh my god! That's all right. Just chalk it up to <laughs> so you Tony, know you, you did something good for someone. <laughs> owe me a drink, though. and I was actually the Arrows guitarist, guitar teacher, Jay Cooker. Are you serious? When we were in high school, when we were in high school, yeah, he was. He I, he asked me to come and see his band, the Psychedelic Force, out in Brooklyn, and they were horrible, and he could hardly play. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, come see my band. So he came down to see my band. He was totally blown away. And he said, give me guitar lessons. And I said, yeah, this is, you know, what I charge. It was $10 a lesson. And his mother gave him guitar lessons with me. And then, like, my guitar player, Jimmy Riley, started to slam heroin when he was 15. And he was missing rehearsals and missing gigs. And meanwhile, Jake is getting better and better on guitar. I thought he's good enough to replace Jimmy. You know, so I said, well, I'm, instead of giving you lessons, let me just teach you my set. And you sing some backing vocals. And so then he was in my band. That's how wow. Jake Hooker got into the band. And he joined us in 67. So I've known Jake since 66, who just passed away last summer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we we were high school friends. And I was his guitar teacher. So it's pretty. Guitar teaching is is interesting. You know, I have a yeah. I can imagine he'd be a great a teacher. You're very well-rounded. My, my method is my method is unique <laughs> because I learned it from the piano lessons. So I play mm-hmm. my own my own way, which works for me. You know, it's not conventional playing. And I my my thumb sticks way over the back of the neck. I'm not supposed to do that. I know. That is so all Alan, I want to. What instruments do you play, Alan? What all instruments can you play? I play guitar, six string, twelve string. I, I play bass guitar. Did sessions in Japan and England on bass guitar, you know, on, for extra money. And uh, I play piano, of course, like I said. So on That's my records, awesome. I play everything except the drums. Play play harmonica too. You can really? hear that on next door to you. On, yeah, on the uh, I'm moving next door to you that you have the 40th anniversary Arrows edition. Yeah, I, I was playing on the Arab that. show actually, you know, harmonica. So uh, that was just—it's just blues harp, you know. And I'm not good at it. I'm, I, you know, I can work out a part that works on the record, but it's nothing I I practice. I, you know, if I if I hear something needs a harmonica, I'll I'll practice a part and make sure that it fits the record. But I, I you know. I would be embarrassed to get up and jam on harmonica. I think. Oh no! Yeah. No, but I do. I do. What I do now, I do catfish blues, the, uh, the muddy water blues, and I, mm-hmm. I start with harmonica on stage. Oh, nice! That's cool. Just just the first verse, and it works because you know I, I have it planned out. But just to riff, there are guys like John Paris who play amazing harmonica. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And, yeah, John Sebastian. Well, you're amazing too. Come on, there. Thanks. <laughs> I, do, I do my best well. to make make it work. You know, one thing Mickey most taught me is is to play everything to enhance the song, mm-hmm. not to show off. Don't show off. Make the song shine, then everything will be 
everybody in the audience will be happy. He always told me never play a guitar solo that people can't whistle. And you can hear he used that technique on the Jeff Beck Truth album when he produced Jeff Beck. All those solos, you can whistle. They're sophisticated, they're they're cool, but there's nothing that nothing Eddie Van Halen fast. Jeff Beck is playing everything melodic on those records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that was Mickey Most Theory, and I you know I use that in my production now. Everything I learned from Mickey was important for my production of myself now. You know, he was a that's, great mentor. That's so you know, cool. Not, not not an early mentor, but in my early twenties, uh-huh. he was definitely somebody I looked up to and. Uh, and admired. In your law, yeah. in, in your life, Ludo says you're yeah, too modest. Yeah, you know, I feel, I feel really good. bad because he told us <laughs> not to take on management, and we did take uh-huh. on management, and that was the reason the Arrows had no record releases during our TV series. He took he took us into his office and said, you know, I'm not going to put out any more records with you guys. I'm going to hold you to your contract, so you're not going to have any hits with your TV series. You really made a big mistake taking on management because I was your manager and it's a big insult to me. You know, you know, without, without even us conferring with him, we, we were lured away for more money and it was, it was nasty. It was, it was stupid. Yeah. You know, and you know, with the the opportunity of a TV series, I'd probably be stuck on the air, uh, on the oldies circuit in England doing arrow songs. So it might've been a blessing. (laughs) Well, we're happy Who knows? you're Everything here. Everything happens for a reason, right? We're happy you're here with us. We're Pardon? really happy you're here with us. No, we're happy well, you're here you. with us. You're not well, stuck on that circuit that you think that you'd be stuck no. on. <laughs> Alan's um, too creative for that. Alan's too creative. He's gonna. No, he is. He's very creative. No. I, I'm amazed at how well-rounded and what a life you've had, and um, so much more ahead of you, and. Again, yeah, I want thanks. to give your website out. Yeah, no, it's A L A N M E R R E M E R R I L L dot com. Go check that out. And, yeah, and um, there's some really cool info on there. Pictures, his gigs, um, what's up and coming. And we are ending the show today with a song called "My Last Night with You." And I yeah, know so that. Yeah, in 1975. Yeah, I want to hear about that. That was a a song that um, was Diarra's third single, the one just before I load Rock and Roll. And we put it out during the Rack Rocks Britain tour with Susie Quattro and Cozy Pals Hammer. And um, Arrows were um, on the bill. We put the single out during the tour, and it went top 30. And, uh, you know, it it was, as I said... The Aris third single and produced by Mickey Most. Um, and it's a beautiful ballad. I had, I, the funny, the funny story about that single. Yeah. Is I went to see a group called Chairman of the Board. Mhm. They had the big hit "Give Me Just a Little More Time." Yeah, and I know that song. Singer yeah. was General Johnson. <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. I was at the Speakeasy in London the night before watching him sing, and I thought, tomorrow in the studio, I'm going to do my best to do this sort of angst written R&B approach to the vocal on the record we do. And um, that's that's who I was trying to emulate. It wasn't anywhere near. But when I did Top of the Pops with the the song for the first time uh, in England, 
Betty Wright, who was doing Shura Shura, was right across the sound stage from me. And she was singing along as I was doing my performance, and it was just knocking me out that she knew my song from the radio. Mm-hmm. I love Betty Wright. So that was that was a fun moment. Now that's the story that's- of my last night with you. It's, it was the last dance of the top ranked <laughs> for the for the teenagers in nineteen seventy five. Before they went off into the night, hopefully singing I Love Rock and Roll. <laughs> wow. Spence, is that you coughing? Yeah, I got a bad, babe. I got you sound horrible. The weather's been brutal here in New York. Oh, the I weather's heard. cold, right, Alan? It's like it cold hurts and brutal. To breathe in New York. Outside. It's so cold, I, actually, your lungs hurt from when you breathe I in. I heard. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. True. Yeah. Well, so we're going to end the show with your song. Thing. We're going to end the show with um, My Last Night With My You. My Last Night and With You. I know that we've had you on um, uh, longer than we thought. And I've I, enjoyed I, chatting. No, oh, I mean, no. Great You're stories, awesome. Great we would like to have you come back. Would you, be, would you like you. to Just come back? Thank you. Just let me know when, and I'll be happy to. Cool. That would be so much fun. I would great. love to have him back. That would be great, Thanks. because you have some really Thank good you, stories. Holly. Thank, and, Thank you, Spencer. We're not letting you go yet. Wait a minute now. Don't go running off. Wait a second. I want to ask you. No, I just want to get the thank you in. Before I forget to say thank you, because my band always says I forget to introduce them. Oh. Oh. I always try to get it in before, you know. No, it's so cool. I want to ask you um, if there's anything you would like to say to everyone before we end the show. Spencer, sure. are we going to do pop culture news, or can we do that next time? That'd be yeah, be that'd be great. Spencer, I mean, just just imagine, yeah. imagine, yeah. imagine how crazy my career is. <laughs> I started out having hits in Japanese, <laughs> and then I write songs for people like Tiny Tim, Joan Jett, <laughs> and Lou Rawls. That's that's quite a that's quite a spectrum. It's quite a, a <laughs> kind of diverse picture here. It is and a you lived in Switzerland. Picture. And you lived in and New York. And I said it's amazing I'm sane, but I'm not. <laughs> it's Al- Alan Merrill Worldwide. I'm more of the Sid Alan Barrett variety. Imagine Sid Barrett got old. He's <laughs> uh, got a lot more coming up. Let me tell you that. That's right. That's right. I want to thank everybody again so much for being in the chat room. And Linda says she loves you. Linda Jones. And uh, Ludo says that he loves you, too. And thank you so much for this. It was great, they're saying. And they're Thanks. saying you're love way you too, too modest. You're way too modest, that you're awesome. Well, thank you. I... And <laughs> I'm saying the <laughs> same thing. I agree. You're probably one of the most down-to-earth. Well, we've had some really amazing interviews with some people, but you are definitely a fun interview. And um, well, thank you. That's what I would yeah, love really to have good. you back. Didn't I tell you it'd be like talking on the phone to your best friend? Yeah. <laughs> it's not like a regular interview. There is no like structure to my, to these interviews. Um we try to we try to do it that way because you never know what's gonna come up because one time we were doing a, a show and um we were doing a show with uh, talking about Johnny Depp, we were doing a show with uh an artist, Johnny Rudolph, and the next thing we know, somebody comes calls in by the name of Vinny, and we know it's it's we know we know that it's uh, Johnny, right? Because he she right. had just painted a picture for him of uh, of um, one of the Rolling Stones, and 
<laughs> it's a pretty funny. So we never know who's going to call into our shows. And again, <laughs> we want to thank everyone for listening. And I want to make sure everyone knows next Wednesday, guys, um, this is kind of a really cool show that I'm going to be doing. Um, it's uh, the Food Babe. And um, and it's not just food like she's a babe. It's about um, knowing what you're eating. And it's for her new book. And it's going to be um, next Wednesday at 2 o'clock. I really think that's going to be a very well-attended show. And uh, anyone that wants to know more about this great book that's coming out, um, I am. I think everyone should be listening next Wednesday at 2. And I want to thank you so much for being here today. And I want to thank Spencer. And Spencer, are we doing pop culture news or can we do No, that no, time? no. I've got to cool out. I, I'm sorry. I've got to cool out. <laughs> He's on a long day. Take your vitamin C, Spencer. What? Vitamin C and some chicken soup, Spencer. Oh, yeah. I, I know. know. He, cool. needs, he needs some of my food. He yeah. calls me and asks cure. me when I make it. Ollie's a great cook, by the way, Alan. <laughs> oh, really? Ollie. Yeah, oh, uh, God, forget about it. I get on the phone with her. It's like uh, it's like the worldwide food uh, chef. Uh, uh, you know, what What? What do I call you? The uh, You know what I made? You know what, what? I made? Here we Some go. Baba Ganoush. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, amazing. That's with some roasted carrots with sea salt on it and salt and pepper mm-hmm. and um, some really good hummus and some roasted chicken. Yeah. Oh, she's gorgeous <laughs> and she can cook. That's right. <laughs> and That's I got an apron. That's a win-win. <laughs> it's a win-right, exactly. <laughs> See? So we are so happy. We're hungry, and <laughs> it's like what six thirty there? Is yeah, it six thirty in New York right now? Dinner time. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's time. Okay, wait, time. Alan. Alan, what are you yeah. having for dinner? Tonight, I don't know. Yet, <laughs> not sure. Are you going out or you something. eating in? I don't know. I've been. Uh, I haven't really thought about it yet. Yesterday I had Thai food. Oh, you know Thai what I'm having food. tonight? I'm having Hunan what? dumplings tonight. Hunan vegetables. Oh, yeah. you're killing me. Chinese, oh. good for you. Yeah. Alan, the there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Alan, I think, Chinese, I think you put me you in the mood for Chinese now. Yeah, okay. Chinese cool. food. Yeah, cool. wait. The New Year's coming up on the 21st, yeah. isn't it? The 21st. Yeah, sure. yeah we got to get our mooncakes yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> you know those mooncakes are awesome if you know how to make them right. They're really good. Oh yeah. You know mooncakes wow. are right. Mm, they are mooncakes. I, 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 I haven't had dinner cakes, yet, Holly. Please, not moon do. dogs. Not moon pies. That's junk food. <laughs> We're talking about the real deal. Mooncakes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Made with egg and almond paste. Oh, it's so good. Oh my good. god. Oh, yeah. No. But, um, yeah. yeah, so I hope everyone has an amazing weekend. Um, it's Friday. Don't drink and drive, guys. And um, right. and I want to tell everyone out there, it's Friday. Enjoy your weekend. And, Alan, we want to thank you so much for being here today. That's right. Thank you so much, Holly. Alan, we'll and see you. I'll see you in New York. Thanks. Yeah, okay. see you soon. Hey, bro. I got the runner pin. I'm going to wear the runner pin. How do you That's like fantastic. that? That's fantastic. Okay, I love hey, you Hey, maybe I'll come in for his birthday. Ooh, that would be cool, birthday. Holly. We can go on a date, yeah. Yeah. 
That's yeah. cool. That'd be fun. Wow, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. That's it's cool. in time for Valentine's Day, a little bit afterwards. Yeah. That'd be fun. I have we, a gig, on, I have a gig on Valentine's Day and on my birthday. So. And on wow. your birthday, yeah. That'd be That's fun. Great. I like that. My birthday New York jam. City. That'd I'm in a fun. New York state of mind, let me tell you. Good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. So we are going to end with My Last Night With You, and it's really a beautiful song. I was really touched by this song. It really is, uh, it is a little different than any of your other songs on this right. uh, CD. It's, it's more 50s doo-wop, I think, sort of influenced. Mm-hmm. It's, got a, it's got a 50s feel to it. Sort of. And it's interesting because we were on tour with Shawadi Wadi, who was sort of the um, Shanana of England, but they had a uh-huh. lot of Shawadi Wadi. And uh, it, it worked well with their audience, you know. Oh, that's great! So it was good. It was good timing to have that that song out. It's kind of yep. kind of got an old rock feel, rock and roll feel to it. My mom's but, in the chat room, and she says, "Oh yes, she's experienced the phone chef Holly." Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> I have Facetimed her a couple times when I made things. Good. Last thing was when I made my artichoke dip. Um, yeah, that was really fun. That. Artichoke dip I'm making again today. Um, I think I think it's I think it's time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> but anyway, everyone have a great weekend and um, you too, Holly. Alan again. Much love to you guys and thank Thanks, you, Spencer, for calling thank you, in. Holly. Thank you. And this for everyone listening again. You. you what, honey? <laughs> this is not my last night with you, but it is the record my last night with you. That's awesome. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. I would love to have you on again. So let's do this again. Yeah, great. We'll do it again. Yeah. Okay. And um again, everyone listening, if you want to hear us blab on again, um, iTunes, Red Velvet Media on demand. This has been the Indie Cafe special edition with Spencer Drake and Alan Merle and myself. And we will catch you live next Wednesday. And again, have a great one. And we're going to play my last night with you. Have a great one, guys. Love you guys. You too. Thank love you guys. So, peace, love, and love cupcakes. Rock and roll. Yeah. Bye. One night without you would break my dreams about you.
African soul. 